Hey, yo, Cali Green Monster Show. Sports. Stuff. Yeah. Let's get it, Nate Diaz. Welcome into another episode of a Cali Green Monster show. I am your host, Dean Ryan, coming to you here from the Tesla Studios in beautiful, sunny San Diego, California. It's Thursday, June 24th, 2021, and I've got an excellent show lined up for you guys today. But that's always the case. You know, for new listeners of a Cali Green Monster show, this show is perfect for you to put on in the background, whether you're working, whether you're working out, maybe you're running, maybe you're lifting weights, maybe you're just playing some fucking video games, or maybe you're just sitting in a corridor and listening to your favorite podcast that's about sports and stuff. So what do you mean sports and stuff? You know, I talk a lot about sports. That's probably going to be 90% of the content on this show because that's something I can sit and just grab a microphone and bullshit about for you know 15 20 30 minutes depending on what's going on in the sports world and depending on what I find interesting you know today we're going to talk you know there's going to be a handful of sports talking you know I'm going to talk about some of the most riveting television I've seen since free solo with an episode of f1 drive to survive on Netflix from last night that I watched it was insane, highly recommend, so I'm going to definitely have a spoiler review of that. So if you intend to watch that show, or intend to watch probably the most insane episode of you know television you'll ever watch, you know episode 3, or episode 9, season 3, Drive to Survive, you should check it out, and then come back and listen to you know me talking about it. You know, we're also going to talk about Atlanta's big win in Game 1 yesterday in the Eastern Conference Final. You know, preview tonight's Game 3 with Clippers and the Suns. You know, yesterday there was an, a crazy end to the group of death in the Euro Cup, and now we know the final brackets for the knockout stages. So, you know, let's just get into it. You know, when I was describing the show, you, were, you heard sports and stuff, and it's like, well, what does stuff mean? You know, last podcast, for example, I think it's just like, you know, Harry Potter was on my mind. You know, HBO Max, I guess this month has all the Harry Potter movies. So I don't know if it's just for this month, but my wife and son and I, we watched, I think, the first three Harry Potter movies. So I think they're just on my mind. That's why the last episode, I just had to rant that it's insane. You know, this, the touting the safety measures of Hogwarts and Gringotts when I feel like the next seven years prove like that statement to be completely false. So yesterday at work, we had like an offsite conference where we were offsite for about like eight or nine hours to just absorb all the science that my company has done. You know, it's exciting stuff. And during one of the breaks, you know, Harry Potter, the series has been on my mind. And I just had to bring up how insane it is that Hogwarts had no problem just raising a bunch of Nazis. And really, like, could you really blame the Slytherin house for turning out to be a bunch of evil wizards. I mean, when you think about it, their founding father, that was, that was one of the reasons why they had to have four different houses was like, you know, Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, and Salazar Slytherin. They had different ideas of how wizards should be raised and the values of a wizard and just how the wizarding world should be shaped. 
you know, for the most part, I feel like Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, and Hufflepuff, they were, you know, chill people. They had reasonable ideas to raise, raise noble wizards and, you know, wizards that should have good intentions and stuff. Whereas, you know, Salazar Slytherin had pulled no punches and being the, you know... Hitler-esque person of the wizarding world and be like, well, no, I mean, I, I think that the wizards should make sure that they'd never breed with muggles, you know, we definitely want no no mudbloods and especially, you know, it's funny, you know, like, side note with mudbloods, have you ever had like words you've said for years and years and years and years and you never really made the connection for it? I feel like the last time I was watching Chamber of Secrets a couple of weeks ago, that was the first time I really made the connection with like mud blood because, you know, it was like dirty blood. And I was like mud. And I was like, dude, of course, mud in the blood, mud in the blood, dirty blood. And I just felt like it was like, you know, I bet you almost everyone the first time they heard mud blood and the connection with dirty wizard blood, they made the connection. But I never really realized how literal it was that it really is just muddy blood but I digress so you know Salazar Slytherin it's like okay well you'll have your own house of creepy pasty white kids that you know only have wizard parents so since they're not really you know mating outside of the wizards there's probably some cross-contamination that's why they're all like pale and kind of creepy looking and you know what's better to help you know foster happy behavior and you know cure depression anger you know it's sunlight it's like no let's shove all these kids that have probably a predisposition to being evil and doing you know uh because what's the one of the things that Slytherin strive to be like being cunning and ambitious? I guess that's one of the things that's considered bad in the wizarding world. But, you know, you got these kids that are predispos predisposed to being evil wizards and we're going to shove them in a dungeon with no light, you know. And so, of course, they're going to like, I don't know, probably feel you know, like the world's already against them. You know, you got Gryffindor where they literally got a fucking tower. And I mean, isn't that what they always say? It's like, oh, the rich people on the hill and you got the poor people in the in the dungeon. So I think that's one of the things I guess Ron Weasley could have on Draco Malfoy is like, you know, even though he's poor outside of Harry Potter, at least he sits in a fucking tower, whereas the Slytherins literally just sit around being like, oh, don't you hate that there's non-wizard parents for some of these kids you know and then you think about the heir of Slytherin so it's like they've got you know they've got this house that's already has the ideals of wizards should have be pure blood and then you know it, he was so adamant about that no seriously Salazar Slytherin was so adamant that he hated mudbloods or people that were born from non-wizard people that he literally hid a chamber in the castle and stuck a big-ass snake in there to come out and murder all the students that didn't have only wizarding parents but that's okay you know and I feel like see like talking about the safety of the school you know Hagrid talking about the safety of Hogwarts there's literally a chamber with a fucking murder snake in there that even if you just look at it you fucking die safe as school my ass and then it's like you know 
what a great guy. Let's make sure that we keep raising modern wizards that way. And then it's like the heir of Slytherin, you know, freaking Tom Riddle, who turns out to be Lord Voldemort, the most evil, dark wizard of them all, you know, basically, you know, idolizing Salazar Slytherin and his values. So basically, you know, the darkest times that, you know, the wizarding world has seen is basically because of the way, you know, Hogwarts allowed Tom Riddle to be raised. You know, you look at like, you know, I think, I think, was it Ron Weasley or I think at the beginning, they're like, there's not a dark wizard that wasn't Slytherin. Like, so basically saying that like all the dark wizards are Slytherin house. So it not at one point is the board of directors or like the head of like Hogwarts go like, yeah, like I know that we, you know, trust tradition and stuff like that, but I think we should probably take a look at that Slytherin house and maybe try to do some reformations or try to figure out what we're doing because a bunch of these kids obviously like doing fucked up shit once they leave this school. So, I mean, so can you really blame, you know, these guys? I mean, Draco Malfoy straight up called Hermione a filthy mudblood. And when you think about it, so mudblood is basically like a, like a racial slur in the wizarding world. So it's like he didn't even like she didn't he didn't even drop like a wizarding world n bomb. He like had to use the adjective filthy mud blood. So it's like and then what 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 happens? Like does he get reprimanded? I forget what happens in the book because it's been about twenty years since I read the book. But in the movie, like they just like tell Hagrid like like what happened? And they're like Draco Malfoy called her a mud blood, and he's just like oh. He didn't do that. And, like, that's, like, all it is. And it's, like, like nowadays, I mean, that kid would probably be on the news for being, like, a huge racist. But, like, in Hogwarts, they completely enable it. And they're like, ah, well, that's just the Slytherins for you. So, I mean, let's be real. I feel like, obviously, that the, you know, the dark wizards and the people that come from Slytherin House that ends up becoming bad wizards, they definitely need to be held accountable. But I think that we should also take a look at Hogwarts and being like, y'all are fucking raising these people. So I think that, you know, Hogwarts needs to have some accountability in the rise of Lord Voldemort and all the Death Eaters that join him because they're basically raising and training all these dudes and instilling all these values in these guys. So, I mean... I could talk about Harry Potter and rant about it all the time. I mean, this is two shows in a row. It's slowly becoming a segment. I don't anticipate this becoming a segment on every single show, but I do anticipate that whenever Harry Potter gets brought up into a conversation, or maybe after I freshly watch one of the episodes, or not episodes, but movies, or maybe read one of the books, which I highly doubt I'll do because I'm probably not going to read, uh, reread a book. You know, I feel like in my adult life, rereading books does does not uh, really fit into my schedule, but I anticipate more Harry Potter rants to come. So, you know, stay tuned. Switching out of the stuff parts of the podcast, and let's go right into the sports. And it's more to talk about the episode of Drive to Survive from, you know, the F1 show on Netflix that I saw yesterday. You know, it was titled Man on Fire. And when you just see the title of that episode, you know that shit is about to go down. So this is definitely going to be a spoiler-filled review or, you know, commentary about the episode. So if you do want to go check out some of the most riveting television ever and you have Netflix, please go to Season 3, Episode 9, Man on Fire. It happens, you know, within the first, you know, 15, 20 minutes of the episode, so you don't have to watch too far. But it's 
it's one of those things that, you know, when I describe what happens, it's so unrealistic that you would think that if this was like a movie, you know, like a Tom Cruise movie, like Days of Thunder or like Ricky Bobby, you know, and I describe, oh, this guy was in a blazing inferno for almost three minutes and then just walked out of the fire with like burnt hands. You would say that's just so fake, but that's basically what happened. So this was the 2020 Bahrain Grand Prix. And Roman Grosjean, he's racing for Haas Racing. You know, he had just gotten word, you know, a few weeks back, like prior to this race, that he wasn't going to be kept onto the team. So he had no F1 team moving forward after this season. So I don't know if during the Bahrain Grand Prix, he was trying to, you know, prove something or trying to, you know, look good for other teams, you know, but he was really aggressive off the beginning. You know, he had made a couple moves like right off the bat. And he looked like, you know, he seemed to be, you know, in line for a really good performance, you know, really trying to prove a lot of the doubters wrong. And out of nowhere, you kind of see the the onboard Cameron of Grosjean. You hear him go like, drop a fuck. And 160 miles an hour into the barrier, his car splits in two. So like the back half of the car is on is 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 off to the side but the scary part is it just didn't split in two the front part of the car where Grosjean was actually sitting just blew up into an inferno and when I'm talking inferno I'm not just talking like a fireball and it went away or just like part of the car was on fire it was like the entire compartment was like in a fire tornado like when you see it and it looked like it was just like there was no letting up and you know my wife when when she saw it like i had i had to watch it twice because it was so i couldn't believe what i had just watched you know my son who loves watching racing he curled up next to me and put my arm around him like he knew shit was going down but it's like the emergency personnel it's like you know they, they come kind of jogging out like diane was like they should be running faster and i'm like dude i don't know if they're just intimidated because when you look at that like when you saw the overhead and seen what's happening if you're watching live I would just be like, dude, that guy's dead. There's no way he's in the there. That thing is on fire. It is literally a full on firestorm. Like I, Charizard showed up and just like dropped the flamethrower, and it was just like unrelenting. And you know they're they're trying to spray with the fire extinguishers and you know you can hear you know the way the show's kind of set up they got the dramatic music and you can hear the radio of all the the drivers that are on the track and you know charles leclerc from ferrari you could just hear him being like fuck 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 that was a big one and you know the drivers like radioing into the pit and being like is he okay and the pit being like we don't know and they're all just you know when you don't when you don't when you keep getting back like an i don't know that usually means, you know, not good news. You know, back when um, Christian Eriksen from Denmark had his cardiac arrest, one of the things that made me scared was that we weren't getting news on it. Because I feel like when things like that happen, if there's a scary knockout in the UFC or, an, or a scary hit in the NFL, at least when they're getting carted off the field, you know, when you look for like a thumbs up or some sort of inner, like something that they're cognizant and that they're okay. So definitely these guys are rattled that, you know, we don't know what's going on. And what all they saw was that there was a huge crash and explosion. And the next thing you know, man, the cameras are right on the crash, like perfect view, like right out of the firestorm. Here comes you see a helmet and Grosjean just comes out 
I don't know. He, he the the one of the medical guys just like pulls him out of the fire, and yeah, I I I can't. I'm mean, like like it literally sends chills down my spine. I had tears coming down my face because it was so I couldn't believe that it look you you could swore you just saw a man die in, in during that race. And then to see him basically come out and when they took off his helmet, he looked completely fine. And, you know, save for his hands being burnt, you know, he was fine. You know, he was talking, He, he the way he recounted it after was that, you know, he knew that he had a hard crash. And, you know, when he looked to his side after he crashed and he came to a stop, he noticed that, you know, it was orange and yellow to the side. And what was tripping him out is that they were racing at night. So he was like, there shouldn't be a sunset right now. But then he noticed it was on the other side of him as well. You know, and he came to the realization he was completely engulfed in flames. Like his complete, his, his whole compartment, you know, he was trying to get out. He said he tried getting out to the left. He tried getting out to the right. He tried standing up and he couldn't get out. He was stuck. You know, his foot was stuck. So, and that was the moment that Grosjean realized, you know, this is it. And he started wondering, you know, what part of him is going to burn first? Is it going to hurt to burn alive? You know, how quick is it going to be? You know, and he said that he started thinking about his wife and kids and he got a moment of like, no, I need to survive. Like the survival instinct kicked in. And he said he basically like was able to get himself up and just push himself through the fire. And I guess the, the racing gloves are like the only part of the outfit that aren't you know, like flame retardant or whatever. So he said that when he put his hands through the fire that he can immediately see his gloves go from white to black and that he could feel the flames against his hands. You know, he could feel it just like cooking his hands. And But then the next thing, he could feel someone grab his shoulder and pull him through the fire. And he said it was at that moment that he realized he was going to survive and he was going to live. And he said that's a feeling that he'll never forget for the rest of his life. It was something that, honestly, you had to see to believe it. And to the fact that he walked away, he was able to see his wife and kids again. It, it was truly a miracle. Like, when you saw that, and you feel like, it was like God literally said, not today. So whether it was a guardian angel or God himself or some higher being, someone was there with Romain Grosjean and saved him. You know, I think he's racing an Indy car this season. So, I mean, he obviously wasn't scared off. And talking about scared off, that's what's kind of crazy is after they cleaned off that wreck, the rest of the drivers on the grid have to compose themselves, forget about what just happened, and, you know, try to, you know, finish that race. And, you know, that's that's what's kind of crazy about these drivers is that they can have that killer instinct and that, you know, just the bravery and the balls and the cojones to really push these cars to the absolute limit, you know, and especially after seeing what happens as a result of pushing the cars to the limit, you know, that's, I think one of the exciting things about race car driving is people like to watch it because it's fast, it's exciting, but there's also the potential for high speed accidents. I know that prior to me becoming a big F1 aficionado over the past month and a half, the only real racing would be the occasional watching NASCAR and being like hoping for an accident. But you know, that's kind of like, you know, thinking of that, it's like it was, it was disconnecting from thinking about the actual driver in the car and more just like wanting to see the, the, the carnage. 
but now like really kind of getting invested and learning a lot about these drivers and you know realizing it's like these drivers have families and aspirations and and all sorts of stuff it's like it it just immediately it was gut-wrenching to watch but i mean it's 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 definitely must see because like i said there's no movie out there that could produce the type of drama that i feel like that that crash and the coverage and the way netflix presented it there's nothing that could top that so just like how i felt like you know a couple months ago when i watched that free solo documentary of the guy that was able to uh, climb el capitan and in yosemite you know that was one of the most amazing things i've ever seen and this was another one of the most amazing things i've ever seen might be in a different reason for amazing but it still is and you should definitely check it out so let's switch it over you know, let's try to run through some basketball. Last night, the Atlanta Hawks, man, they are continuing their run. You know, I think a lot of people are calling them Cinderella, but at what point do you start, like, I don't know, are, are they not Cinderella anymore? You know, they've been taking game one in the in each of the series that they've played. You know, they've done it again against the Bucks. You know, in Milwaukee, they won 116-113. Trey Young is looking more and more like Steph Curry every day. Had an insane game, 48 points, 11 assists, 7 rebounds. You know, the Milwaukee Bucks didn't play necessarily bad. I feel like they had the lead most of the game. You know, Giannis had a pretty solid game, 34 points, 12 rebounds. You know, he wasn't really shooting from beyond the arc that much. You know, Drew Holiday, he had himself a pretty decent game as well. He had 33 points and 10 assists. You know, but, you know, Trey Young, I mean, he's definitely not just you know, he has so much confidence and swag. You know, he's not afraid to pull up from deep outside three and be able to hit it. You know, when I was mentioning that he's doing his best Steph Curry impersonations, I feel like Steph Curry can, you know, drive the lane, get fouled, throw the ball up, and it just finds a way to get in the basket. And I feel like Trey Young is being able to do stuff like that. You know, he has the confidence to maybe shimmy before he drops a three. You know, they showed Giannis in the timeout, like, kind of being, like, you know, kind of telling the rest of his team, like, can you let this fucking guy shimmy in front of you? And, you know, dude, Trey Young, he's he's definitely, I think it's without a doubt, this guy's a superstar now. Man, 2021, these playoffs have been his, his coming out party. You know, I feel like last year in the bubble, you know, Devin Booker going off and almost getting the Suns into the into the actual playoffs during the bubble you know I feel like that was his coming out party and then you know you look at what Devin Booker's doing now he's arguably the best shooting guard in the league you know I feel like this is definitely Trey Young's coming out party and we'll see if they'll be able to keep this going I think it it's insane to think that you know this was a team that started off pretty slow didn't have any of their players on the roster make an all-star team and they're out here basically being the hottest you know healthiest nba team out there so you know we'll see if they end up representing the eastern conference it's still early you know, a lot of basketball to be played but i mean from last night i think that was definitely a good sign for the atlanta hawks tonight's gonna be game three in the clippers and sun series at staples center you know the Clippers; they're not they're in familiar territory in the first round and second round. They you know against the Mavericks and the Jazz, they went down 2-0 to then rally off four in a row each time. So, you know, well I don't know each time. I think it might have been a game seven with Dallas, but you know, 
who knows go look it up if you want to be 100 percent sure but i do know for a fact that the clippers are down 2-0 right now and they're still not going to have Kawhi leonard you know i'm still not anticipating Kawhi leonard to be back you know i feel like hey when he hurt his knee he actually grimaced so for a guy that doesn't show any emotion for him to actually show pain you know i'm sure it is something bad and the fact that he hasn't even attempted to come back you know at the end of round two and throughout this entire you know western conference final so far i don't anticipate him coming back you know meanwhile you know the other uh, superstar for phoenix that they were missing chris paul due to covid protocols he's expected to be back so you know it's one of those things where unless you inject a hall of fame one of the best point guards of all time who's improved every single team that he's been on over the past decade if adding him to the roster doesn't improve or like there's there's no basically i'm saying that there's no way i think that phoenix can do any worse than they've done in the past in the first two games so if they're going to get better than starting 2-0 you know i feel like the clippers really have an uphill battle to climb you know devin booker you know he's you know even even though he scored half as many points in game two as he did with game one he's still a threat to you know put up 35 40 points anytime he's out there deandre ayton he's proven to be you know the first round pick that you know he was supposed to be when he was picked number one you know that all you finish at the end of game two that's probably going to be one of the most memorable dunks you know, if modern playoff history, probably the most memorable play in Phoenix Sun his Phoenix Suns history, unless you can bring up another highlight from the Suns. So, you know, game three tonight should be a good one. Speaking of good ones, we had a good end of the group F, you know, of the Euro Cup. The group F was the group of death. It had France, Portugal, Germany, and Hungary in there. And really yesterday's results could have determined who was going to you know move through to the knockout stages and the two games Hungary and Germany and France and Portugal were they were dynamite I was like I was trying to think of a word and in my head I was just like hearing the the British announcers from my my video game I'm like oh what a cracker oh what a dynamite shot and I was like I guess we'll just describe it as dynamite I should have just said dynamite first, but anyways, so let's look at the Hungary and Germany game. So you think that when you're, you know, Germany versus Hungary, that like, you know, Germany, the superpower that's always, you know, one of the top teams, one of the favorites to win any international tournament that they're in, you know, they look so amazing against Portugal. I was telling my coworker at work that if the Germany that showed up against Portugal shows up for the rest of the tournament, I wouldn't be surprised if they win the tournament. But alas, they run into Hungary and they had the hardest time. You know, Hungary went up really early, 1-1. And then it wasn't until the 66 minutes where Kai Havertz was able to tie the game. And I mean, this was definitely one of those games where, you know, when you're playing FIFA and you have all the possession and you have all the shots and you just cannot score past the keeper. I feel like that's what Germany, that's what this game ended up being for them. They ended up having, I think 75% of the, 75% of the possession and they outshot Hungary 18 to nine. So, I mean, they were completely outplaying Hungary, but you know, Hungary really took advantage of the smash and grab 
So, you know, it's 1-1, Germany ties it up. And as soon as they start off, they start off again, you know, the announcers are like, oh, Germany can breathe again. Oh, wait. Oh, oh, my gosh. And Hungary, like, out of nowhere, just made it 2-1. to one. Like, they just, like, pushed the ball up and caught caught Germany off guard. And, like, they were able to split the defenders and score, make it 2-1. It was totally a brain fart moment by germany you would think that these professionals and some of the best footballers in the world would have better composure to 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 not allow a goal after getting you know you know tying up the game like that so immediately germany's back on their heels they're you know they're at risk of getting knocked out of this tournament by hungary you know hungary who already had a pretty awesome result by drawing with france that they're out here you know making life really difficult for germany and it wasn't until leon goretzka in the 84th minute tied it at 2-2 did germany you know secure themselves a moving forward out of the group stage into the knockout stage but you know hungry you know they made that exciting and i think that they can be proud for their showing on the international showing in this tournament you know drawing up with germany france and portugal i fully expect them to not get any points so for them to walk away with two draws i think should be considered an extreme success and you know i think the people of hungary can be really proud of their football team you know in the portugal france game that was another really good one too you know portugal they went up 1-0 pretty early with a pk from cristiano ronaldo they got that because loris the the goalie for france when he went up to punch the ball he like basically punched one of the portugal dudes like right in the head it was like oh dude that's a that's a pk so you know ronaldo he came up stepped up Knocked it in, you know, Pete, some people, you know, they call Cristiano Ronaldo Penaldo because he gets so many penalty kicks. But you know what? He converts them. So it's easier said than done, having seen so many people really botch a PK. You know, France was able to even it up 1-1 in the 45th minute. They had a PK as well. And then, you know, this was definitely a game of PKs because, you know, the second half started. France, you know, goes up 2-1. You know, excellent ball and they score. And then in the second or, you know, in the 59th minute, Portugal makes it 2-2 with another PK from Pinaldo. They got this one because the French defender, you know, it was a manos play, a ball caught him in the hand. It was definitely a sloppy play by the French defender. And, you know, it despite the awesome midfield play from Pogba, he made some amazing through balls. Some like, There was... One of the, I think in the 66th minute, 67th minute, he had a shot from outside the box that, you know, the Portugal goalie he really had to, you know, make a great save to stop it. You know, Paul Pogba, I feel like he gets a lot of negative flack at Manchester United. He's had inconsistent form there, but I feel like he's a pretty good performer for France. And, you know, when, he, when he's playing like he was yesterday, dude, he's one of the best players in the world, hands down. So after, the, you know, those games yesterday, we have... You know, the knockout stage is set. You know, when I look back at my predictions, basically only two of the teams in the knockout stage are teams that I predicted to not go through. So I did pretty solid at, like, my predictions. You know, we got our first game is Wales and Denmark. You know, Wales finished second in their group, so I predicted Wales to finish second in their group, so I was solid with that. Denmark, so they finished second in their group. They were able to rally after, you know, that 
you know, nightmarish game one where Erickson had the cardiac arrest. So they were able to rally and play for him and, you know, get second in their group. You know, I predicted them, I think, to get third, but, you know, I, I didn't predict them to move forward. The next matchup, we got Italy and Austria. Italy's been arguably the best team in the tournament. They still haven't allowed a goal. I think it's been 11 or 12 matches since they've allowed a goal. You know, so they they you know they finished first, and Austria they finished second in their group. You know, I predicted each of these guys to move on. So go me. Same with the next two teams, Netherlands and the Czech Republic. The Netherlands won their group, and I feel like that was kind of an easy pick. You know, I didn't feel like they had the toughest group. But, you know, Czech Republic, you know, they were stuck with England and Croatia and Scotland, which turned out to be a pretty tough group. But, you know, they finished third, you know, so I, you know, I nailed that. Belgium and Portugal, that's going to be a freaking good matchup. Belgium finished tops in their group. Portugal finished third in their group. Got those right. We got Croatia and Spain. Croatia, after losing the first game against England, they were able to salvage this tournament, you know, finishing second in the group. Spain, you know, didn't look the best, but they had a pretty solid third game against Slovakia. I think they won 5 nothing, so they finished second in their group. Second to Sweden, a team that I thought was actually going to get last in their group since they didn't have Zlatan Ibrahimovic, but, you know, hey. I don't know much about Sweden soccer. Sorry. <laughs> we also got France and Switzerland. You know, France finishing tops in the group as I anticipated, and Switzerland finishing third in their group as I anticipated. And then just like Belgium and Portugal was a so is going to be a solid match in this first round of the knockout, we have England and Germany, which is going to be another one. You know, I feel like these are both countries that have huge expectations and young rosters, so we'll kind of see what the reaction looks like in each in the country that ends up losing this game but I think it's going to be you know it's going to be a pretty exciting one so I can't wait to see that one and then the last one is Sweden and Ukraine these are the two teams that I didn't anticipate to move past the knock or the group stages but you know just like I said with Sweden soccer I don't know much about Ukraine soccer but I mean are you really that surprised that the Cali Green Monster isn't up to date with his Swedish and Ukraine international soccer I'm not. <laughs> but before we get out of here, you know, that's all the stuff and, you know, sports I have for you. But I guess no, because I still have a tiny little bit of stuff for you. I just wanted to, you know, before we get out of here, is I just want to acknowledge, you know, Blink-182's bassist, Mark Hoppus. Yesterday was kind of like confirmed to the public that for the past three months he's been battling cancer. So it's unknown like it didn't say like what type of cancer that he's battling but either way I don't think there's like oh a good or a bad cancer like it's you know it's it's so I'm just you know really you know wanted to send like prayers out to him you know in his fight and you know I hope he is able to overcome it you know Blink-182 is one of the you know big bands of mine growing up I still pop on Enema the State and Take Off Your Pants and Jacket those are one of my two favorite albums of all time so you know yeah I was like I think take off your pants and jacket it's been like they just had the 20th anniversary of that album coming out and it's crazy because I still remember like graduating from elementary school in the fifth grade and I got that album I think the day of you know and that was like a way to like oh I'm going to the summer I got the sweet new blink 182 album this is so sick can't believe that was 20 years ago because you know I still remember that summer and like the first day of that summer so it's you know Anyways, so, you know, like I said, 
prayers to Mark Hoppus. Hopefully, you know, he, you know, he can kick this cancer's ass. And, you know, that's, that's all I got for you on this Cali Green Monster show. You know, if you, you know, hopefully if, if you made it to this point, you know, big pat on the back for you. Thumbs up. I really appreciate it. You know, just like how I appreciate everyone that takes the time to download and listen to this show. You know, if you enjoy what you listen to, why don't you be a friend? Tell a friend, you know. It helps spread the Cali Green Monster Show brand, you know. Like I said, it's the at the beginning of the show, it's the perfect thing to pop in the background and have a, a voice just chit-chatting around random shit, you know, a couple times a week for your entertainment or to keep you entertained while you're doing shit that you don't necessarily want to do. But until next time, I have been your host, Dean Ryan. Coming to you from the Tesla Studios in beautiful, sunny San Diego, California. This has been a Cali Green Monster show. Have a great one, guys. Peace.